0: into instruction, combining and cultivating conversations between instructors and students.
1: Hey, welcome to Triple I Insight into Instruction. My name is Jamie, I'm Annabelle
2: and I'm fabulous, but you can call me Thomas.
1: this episode, we are interviewing our 2021 junior practicum teacher, Kim Sanchez. Last year, our cohort submitted questions regarding different teaching scenarios, which you then answered on a solo podcast. We wanted the juniors to get the same awesome experience we did, and we thought it would be a great idea to get your expertise on the podcast as well. We would love for you to start the interview out by giving us a breakdown of who you are, your background, and what you've done within the education system. Thank you
3: for having me here today. So, yes, my name is Kim Sanchez, formerly a Bakelin, and I am a first generation college student. I have made a lifetime career of being an educator, little over. Probably like around 25 years in education in a range of settings. So about 16 or 17 in the public school setting, as well as other settings, including like private school, alternative schools, meaning schools that meeting kids in a more personalized setting, as well as have been a, a teacher, instructional coach of teachers, a teacher of new teachers, and then also an administrator in a middle school. So yeah, that's a little bit about myself and really
1: excited to be able to be here with you today. Yes, and again, thank you so much for joining us here. We're really excited to have you here on the Triple I podcast, as well as back on the WSUV campus after a year. Absolutely glad to be here.
4: The junior cohort is wrapping up their first semester of classroom observations within middle schools specifically. For some, this might be their first time being in middle schools, since they were students themselves. This is their first term in practicum as well, where they have been seeing some of those in-the-moment inner workings of the public school system firsthand.
2: For this episode, we compiled a few questions for the elementary education juniors, class of 2024. We're going to give them an opportunity to have you as a seasoned professional give us some of those moment responses live at this time we're going to open it up to the juniors for those who chose to stay anonymous we'll read those questions for you please go ahead and introduce yourself first and then ask your question
0: hi i'm sophia i am a junior in the elementary ed cohort and my question is what advice do you have going into or preparing for your first day of student teaching
3: Well, Sophia, great question, a great first question. So in thinking about preparing for that first day of student teaching, I think it's important to remember that everything that you're doing right now is preparing you for that first day. And so part of that student teaching experience is really thinking about what's your why? What's your purpose for what it is that you're doing? So why are you here? Why did you choose this profession? Because that why is going to be something that you're going to want to come back to over the course of your career because times will be hard and times will be great and that why is going to pivot and change over time. So, what is that why? Is it that you really love the content that you're teaching? Is it that you love a particular age group? Is there something about a teacher or an experience you had in the past that made you want to be a part of this profession? Those are the kinds of things that, as you think about in your coursework now, will help you as you walk into the door for student teaching, that first day of student teaching. The other thing that I would encourage you to think about is to prepare yourself to be open to learning and student teaching, to not feel like you have to know everything when you walk in the door, that you had to memorize everything that, were, that you learned in your classes that you have to know and that you're going to have an assessment at the end of day one with your mentor teacher. It won't be like that. What will start to happen is that the things that you've learned in your classes are going to start percolating up as you have experiences in the classroom and you're gonna to start to see those connections, and then you're gonna to wanna to come back to your professors and go, oh wait, let's talk about that again, because now I have something that connects to it, and it gives it a place to be grounded in your thinking and learning. So be open to everything around you is
1: really your best preparation for student teaching. We just sort of went through our first day of student teaching two days a week, rather than five days a week, which we're about to go into this next semester. Did you wanna add anything?
4: Lesson plans. Helpful. Um, To to prepare ahead of time. Not helpful in the moment. Like I printed one out for me the first time to like bring with me when I taught the lesson. I didn't look at it once. Um, Your classroom management and your relationships with your kids is going to be much more important and you're just going to have to ride with what you already know because at the end of the day what you have in front of you is never what you planned on it being even after you've known your kids for months.
3: And I think what I would add to that, the idea of that pre-planning piece, it will over time become part of that um, mental hardware and that muscle memory that you'll build that will then allow you to flex in the moment. So those plans are critical. It allows you to decide what is your why for that given day, purpose, grouping of kids, whatever that need is, but it allows you to be flexible as you monitor and adjust based on what is actually happening in the classroom space. Something
2: that I would add is also uh, just being Mm -hmm. mindful about classroom management that your teachers are currently using and just being a sponge to take all of it in because when you get into student teaching, that's going to be your primary focus for the first couple of months is just honing your classroom management skills and going in twice a week will be a, a definitely a challenge because you're not there every single day. But definitely talk to your mentor about that as well as just constantly watching people around you and the teachers and just gaining all that information that you possibly can and just taking note of it.
1: And as far as the why, that's something that I think you've already written maybe one, maybe two, maybe three papers about. But if you think about it, you start losing the why as you go into it and aren't thinking about it in the forefront of your brain. So if you do get another why, don't go, Ugh, I've answered this before. Really think back and say, is my answer the same as when I answered the first time?
0: Hi, my name's Katie, and I'm a junior in the BA program at WSU. And my question is, as an administrator, What did you watch for specifically performance-wise from newly hired teachers for the first one or two years?
3: Hi, Katie, great question. Um, So those first couple of years, so as an administrator, what I'm thinking about is having an awareness that new teachers coming into the building have a really big learning curve. So you've had a lot of experience, in student teaching, you've had a co-teaching experience by that point in time, but there's a lot of things to learn. Everything from the classroom, not just the classroom culture, but the community culture, and how do you actually use the technology in your room? Um, what I have to change the voicemail? I don't know how to do that, but I can run the computer. So I mean, there's just lots of things to know and be able to do. And so as a new as an administrator, what I'm looking at is, are you asking questions? How coachable are you? Those are the things, if you are a learner, then I know that you are gonna support my kids and my school to be learners too. And so as an administrator, I don't have an expectation that you are going to be, and I'll refer to the evaluation Uh, structure so uh, within a school setting there and you'll, you'll learn about this probably later on in your program about the evaluation program but there are multiple areas and as an administrator I don't expect that you're going to be proficient in all of those areas I expect that you're going to be a beginning learner and that we'll work together to pick which areas to kind of focus on so being coachable being able to ask questions, and being okay with not only receiving feedback, but then thinking about how do you integrate that into the things that you're doing. Those are some of those kind of key things that I look at in those first couple of years.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much. Hi. My name is Mara. I was wondering what methods of classroom management have you seen be the most effective? I think some of the most effective classroom management
3: pieces that I've seen have to do with building relationships. So building relationships, not just you as the teacher with your students, but also fostering that learning community between students. Um, and also fostering a sense of self-efficacy. So just as we all feel more confident when, when we feel like what we do is effective and meaningful, kids are the same way. And kids of all ages, adults of all ages, want to feel like they are a contributing member and that the work they're doing has value and is relevant. So classrooms where protocols and procedures. That sounds really kind of fancy and stiff, but it's like, what are those boundaries and what are those expectations? Boundaries and expectations provide safety to kids because they know what to expect and they know where they can push against things as they will, but they know they'll safely get that nudge back and feel okay in that space. So relationships, consistency, and that
1: relevance piece is really critical. In terms of classroom management. I want to add to that too because the boundaries thing both Thomas and I have been preschool teachers for multiple years and if you don't have boundaries they walk all over you but it's because kids who need boundaries are seeing that you're in control and they won't feel in control unless you're in control. They'll feel out of control if you're not.
2: I would also say have boundaries, have understanding, but also have those high expectations that you're keeping students at because they know that you have the best intentions for them and constantly just reminding them that you do have those best intentions, but the reason why you have those expectations as as well as the reason why you have those boundaries. It's not just to be a main teacher, but to keep everyone safe and also make sure that you as a student are learning.
0: Thank you for those responses. I also had a quick follow-up because I was... Thinking about the difference between elementary school and middle school as far as how much time you get with the kids because in middle school you have significantly shorter increments of time with the sets of students because you have so many different classes whereas in elementary school it seems easier almost to make those connections with the students and help them build relationships with each other where middle school it seems like that is increasingly challenging. Do you have any advice of how specifically in middle school to build those relationships and set those boundaries?
3: Middle school, the place of my heart, the place I've spent a lot of time. Absolutely. Relationships can absolutely be built in middle school. And it is, it is challenging to build relationships with 140 kids. One of the things I would encourage you to consider and do as like a starting place, and this kind of connects back to that student teaching piece, is when you interact with kids within the classroom space, Maybe you have a seating chart, maybe you have a class list. At the end of the day, in the evening, or between 3 and 5 in the morning, depending on when you're looking at it, notice which kids you can actually visualize in your head, like which kids you actually interacted with, and then pick a few, a handful of kids you didn't, and then make sure that you interact with them. Because a goal, most middle school teachers that I have worked with, a goal has been you should always know all of their names by the end of the first week. And that is a feat. And usually it comes in the, we usually do it like within a game where the kids get the candy, if you can remember. Um, (laughs) That's the beginning, knowing someone's name and knowing that they have a name and a face and a piece in your classroom is critical. And then because even though you only see these kids for maybe like 45 minutes or 50 minutes every single day, you are a consistent piece in their world. And how you use that time. Even though I might be learning math, I am learning math and validating that individual. And even if they only got one thing right, that's one more than nothing. And that doesn't make who they are. So it's critical to use every opportunity to leverage that opportunity to connect. Everything we do is either to connect or can potentially pull away. And so we always really want, at the end of the day, for kids to know, and for us to know, that our value doesn't hinge on our, what we produce, but who we are, they always have a space, even the ones that are challenging, because they need the space more than anyone. Thank you so much.
2: As a previous principal, what is one thing that you look for during an interview for a future teacher?
3: Great question. So what do I look for during an interview with a future teacher? So (laughs) I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I first began sitting on interview committees, I full on didn't realize it, but bought into my own bias by looking for people who are just like me, except for having great hair, because, you know, there we draw the line. There it is. So... (laughs) had to get in there but no and that is uh, it's really important and I will like broadly put that to all the things that we do checking your biases is really critical and so it's problematic when you only look for people who think like you do things like you that are replicas of you over time what I realized is what I look for interviews are difficult it's a hard place to know what people are bringing to the table So it's really critical that when I am interviewing somebody, what I'm looking for is for that individual, when they make a statement, when they answer a question, and I I think we'll be talking about this a little bit later on, when they answer a question, to paint a picture for me with words, to show, not tell. Because you can say you do formative assessment and summative assessment, and it's a part of your assessment plan, but kids can also say, I know that there are divergent plate boundaries and convergent plate boundaries, and still not know what that means. So, or not know how to integrate that. So, and I see people smiling, so I know someone knows that they don't know what convergent plate boundaries are. We'll have a conversation later. But I'm looking for that. I'm looking for that. And then the other thing is, I'm looking at. I guess this is one thing. Now I'm saying two things. I can't read instructions. But the other thing that I think is really critical is are you a learner and are you open to feedback and can you integrate it? Critical that it's not just kids who do the learning. I do the teaching. They do the learning. The kids teach us how to teach them. So we have to be good learners. That's what I look for.
4: (music) Okay, so this one, man, I almost wish I had the answer to it a few months ago. What's the best advice you can give to someone who is anxious about starting their student teaching experience? This question
3: makes me so happy, and here's why it makes me happy. My best advice is for you to know you are absolutely not alone it's it's really critical and i and don't think i'm saying this cuz i'm on we're on the podcast and i'm trying to you know make you think something is you know whatever but it's really critical for you to know that every experienced teacher and administrator the night before the first day of school no one sleeps you should see their ba- the bags under their eyes there's not enough spackle that would fit into the bags under my eyes every single year Everybody is anxious about that first day. Now, yes, do they have more experience? Absolutely. But the key, what makes people anxious when they are experienced, even though they could be considered experts, is that our best strategies, our best practices, are now going to be implemented in classrooms with kids that we don't know yet. So how will we choose those best practices? And what will we need to be able to do to meet those kids where we're at, where they're at? So know that that's the most important thing, is know that you being anxious is completely normal, completely. It it says to me you're passionate about what you're doing and that you want to do well. And that's a completely reasonable place to
4: be. Okay, so the bit about how even with your best expertise, it ends up changing as soon as you have different people in the in the room. Um, my mentor teacher this year is a huge sports guy. He's really leans into that. He's super fun with it, and he liked to gamify a lot of his assessments. But last year, that all got flipped on its head because we had – I wasn't here for this, but I've heard stories of it. They had two students in the classroom. One was overly competitive, right, and would be really disruptive and rude to their teammates, right? But the other student was very emotional around anything competitive and would have breakdowns and no learning would happen. And this student was also on an IEP and had other things going on outside of the classroom that made it so he had to completely revamp what he had been leaning into for years to best fit all of his students but now this year he was able to implement his new understanding of assessment and review as well with our new math curriculum which all of my district has been doing a new math curriculum so it's been new for everybody but that has been really helpful.
2: I would say that I still get anxious every single time I go into it just because those are those students who keep you up late you're thinking about ways to help them progress from where they are to where they need to be and i'm also not there every day so i wonder what was what didn't happen why i wasn't there but what helped me be less anxious was i talked a lot with my mentor teacher before the first day and kind of had her paint me a picture of what it would look like on that first week that first first couple of weeks and that first month and it was a lot of just like we're just building relationship right now so just get on uh the floor with the children and play with them because i'm in kindergarten and i also that Like Kim said, it never goes away. I've been a preschool teacher for 11 years, and I am still anxious every single first day or any time a new student would start.
3: Okay, I've been doing this a really long time. I didn't eat lunch before coming here
1: today because (laughs) it just wasn't going to work out for me. So (laughs) I hear you on that. Yeah, I as well. Nervous all the time, I feel like, not even going into... A new classroom going into a classroom that I've been in, nervous right here because everyone's staring at me, and yet it's something that I do all the time with these two. But nerves are good because, again, it shows that you care. So just be honest. So my my mentor had me do my first new math curriculum lesson a while back, and I said, I'm so nervous because the reason that I don't like math is because of fractions. I love math, but I don't like fractions, and I don't like percentages. And that's what I get to teach today. And she said, you know what? If you need to cry, just cry in front of them. If you need to tell them that you're nervous, tell them. And I did, and all of them go, same. So be vulnerable and let them know. And if you make a mistake, they'll love it, as long as you say that you made a mistake. But they really actually, I think they bonded with me more because of that.
3: And, Jamie, I'll add on, I'm so glad you brought that up because when you, when we were talking about sort of like our own anxieties about being in front and leading the learning in a classroom space, but I, but what I'm hearing Jamie kind of elevate is the idea that the range of feelings of the kids in your classroom when we can show them that it's okay to have those feelings that are uncomfortable and that uncomfortable feelings are a part of learning. If you're comfortable in your learning, you're not learning yet. It's going to feel a little messy. And kids come equipped to deal with those big feelings with a range or a small, you know, a small range to a larger range. No one can see my hands with this microphone, but of types of tools to manage those big feelings. So it... It, it's another element to providing safety and boundary and boundaries in a classroom when we can be okay with our own feelings, anxiety, failings, because we have to make mistakes. Those mistakes is where we
1: learn. So the next question is what are the rules for public schools for having a special education program? If the school has a resource room or behavior class, or the resource room is curriculum-based, meaning the students are there for math and language arts, but in gen ed for the rest of the classes.
3: So um, yeah, this is a great question, and hopefully I'll be able to address it. I am was thinking about this a little bit and trying to think about the the broader ideas embedded in in this question. So in terms of rules for public school, so just kind of super introductory when we're thinking about children, we're thinking about individuals. You've probably heard the word IEP. You've probably heard the word section 504. So children with disabilities have a right to have access to their educational learning. And so through Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1974, there will be a quiz at the end. You will have to know this uh, term. Actually, I had to look it up again. But Section 504 basically says that it broadly protects individuals, not just children, but all adults, from discrimination based on their disability. And so that applies in a school setting. It applies in federal programs. It applies in getting jobs. You can't be discriminated against because you have a disability. So part of that, as I said, applies to the public school setting. And so what that means is if you have a diagnosed disability, schools, public schools, are required to provide accommodations for an individual. So it could be, there's sort of like what I can't show you by just talking is like think of two circles. There's a broad circle called Section 504, so individuals with disabilities, and that's a protection, it's a civil rights protection. And that may, what that looks like in a classroom, might be that you have certain accommodations to access your education. Perhaps it means that this auditory sharing of information doesn't work for you, so you really need the written notes to go with it so you can review it at your own pace. But it could be that if you are an individual with a disability that requires additional, very personalized learning, Then you have an individual education plan, an IEP. That's another circle within that section 504. So schools are required to provide that instruction. Now, the key idea, since you might not have had your special education class, I'm not entirely certain, but the key idea that I would want you to understand is this. All children are general education students first, who then receive special education based on their need to be able to access their education. So sometimes people think of that person as a special education student, meaning they are othered and they are not. They are all part of the learning community and therefore need to have access to, their, um, to that learning. So all schools are required to provide based on that disability. Those programs look different based on the school A little tiny school or a tiny school district, a rural district, might not have the funding to do everything that needs to be done all on their own, so they'll perhaps belong to what's called a consortium with the educational service districts, meaning they'll cooperatively work together with multiple schools to bring their collective strengths together to provide these services to kids, where maybe a bigger school district Say, for example, like Seattle Public Schools or Evergreen School District will have the what I call the infrastructure or the personnel or the programs to be able to support the children there. So the needs have to be addressed and, uh, and provided for. How it's addressed depends on the
1: size of the school. Hi, my name is Katie Leslie. And I was wondering, do you have any tips on how we should prepare for teaching interviews and what types of questions we will be asked?
3: So you want a sneak peek on that so you can prepare in advance. I like this class. It's a great class. Great question. So if you hear nothing about interviewing for a job, this is the key thing that I want you to remember. Question number one is a tricky question. And it's usually always the same. For most districts, which is, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you might be the best candidate for this particular position. Okay, it makes it sound like they want to know about you and your dog and hiking, which I do because I care about dogs. Dogs are cool, as is hiking. However, really what this question is, is tell me about you, but tell me about what about you is going to satisfy the demands of this particular position. So if I have a position for, a, say, it's a sixth grade science position, and, and you're just coming out of school, that's OK. You can say, you know, my name is so and so, and I have been volunteering up at Mount St. Helens. And out of that, I've had the opportunity to interact with youth. And I've really, so you've shared who you are, but you've connected it to why it's valuable for that person to hire you. One other thing that I would add in terms of which ones are most often asked. Okay, so yes, that was definitely one. The other ones that are most often asked are these three. You'll always be asked about your plan for classroom management. That is not just about strategies, it's about what's your philosophy. It's about how do you take your philosophy of classroom management and actually make it work in a classroom? Do you greet kids at the door when they walk in? Do you have them put on their own, because you value self-efficacy, you have them put their little, little lunch card in their little lunch pocket so then you know whether they brought their lunch or they're going to buy their lunch. So those kinds of things. They'll also always ask you about what is your plan for assessment? And then they'll also ask you about collaboration with colleagues. So aside from that question one, the key to interviewing is this one thing that I would suggest to you. Do you remember back when you were in school and your English teacher, your science teacher, would say, make a claim and support it with evidence? And you're like, what? I have to do that? I don't want to do that. Okay, in an interview. That is the difference between answering a question and answering it well. So you want to make your claim. So my plan for classroom management is dot, 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 and then give an example. Even if your only examples are from student teaching, those are still examples. I need to be able to see that you can say those words, but also articulate them in the classroom.
1: Okay, so that was the last question as we're out of time for the day. But I wanted to say thank you to Dr. Steve Morrison for letting us come into your class and use it to record our interview, but also for the awesome suggestion of letting us do it in the live Think Out Loud public radio style. That's definitely a new experience for all of us. It was a lot of fun. And then also to thank the junior cohort for being a part of this today and also for your your vulnerability, which I said before, with your questions. I hope that within the small amount of time that we were able to do it, that it did help dissipate some of those fears and did answer some of those questions. As you know, we are always available to you to ask questions, see us in the halls, whatever it may be. So if, if you do have any questions, definitely come up to us.
4: Yes, and thank you, Kim, for joining us today. We really appreciated you taking the time to come and be with us here in person. It's been a while, and we're really happy that the new elementary education cohort was able to glean some of the same wisdom that you were able to provide to us last year.
3: Well, it's really, I really appreciate the invitation to be here. It is a privilege. It really is a privilege to be here. I am passionate and committed to our profession, and so absolutely always feel there is always an open door for questions and conversations and these folks know how I love to talk. So, and I listen too. I'm a good listener, whatevs. Fantastic and some listener. of you do too, because I noticed there are some students that I had when I was teaching middle school, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so, but no, thank you so much for having me. Do we get the tea?
1: No, I'm just <laughs>
2: To our pod squad and our faithful listeners, we hope that this episode gave you some insight into how amazing and hardworking teachers, principals, and admin are in the public education system. Remember, students, parents, and educators are dealing with the aftermath of years of COVID learning, and there are pre service educators in the midst of all of it. If you know anyone in the education field, please thank them. If you are an educator, remember to remind your students how glad you are to have them in your room. And thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to chatting with you on our next episode.
0: Coming along with us on this academic journey, click that follow button so you can join us next time for more ins and outs of education, past, present, and future.